Thank you for listening to the Identity House Ministries podcast. We hope you are encouraged and empowered by this week's teaching from Pastor Gene Shoemaker from Refuge Church in Statesville, North Carolina. What is the chief end of man? In other words, why are we here, right? And that is the answer, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And to that I say amen, right? There's some things from our Reformed brothers and sisters I don't agree with, but I can absolutely get on board with that. And, you know, that God desires our worship. God deserves our worship. He deserves our glory and our praise. But what I want you to understand first off tonight is that ever since the garden, the enemy has sought to rob praise from God. He sought to rob it. He has sought to take away from God what he has rightly due. And, you know, if you really dig into the whole... Uh, in Isaiah where it talks about him being cast out of heaven and Satan being kicked out of heaven I mean that's really what got him kicked out right it was his arrogant prideful attitude in seeking to be worshipped as God and to elevate himself into God's position so he's desired all along to steal God's worship and glory and praise and he wants it redirected to himself so in a few minutes I'm going to sort of get into some specific ways that he does that but for now I just want you to agree with me that he he uh, he will do everything he can do to keep God from receiving worship. He will do everything he can do to keep God from receiving the glory from you, your life, the worship from your life, the praise from your life, because he wants to steal it. You agree with me? Amen? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So why does God want our worship? You know, I've honestly talked to people who they have this idea that God's like an egomaniac, right? And that he just wants to puff himself up and wants to hear good things about himself. But that's not it at all. So let me share with you real quick uh, three reasons that God wants us to worship. And this is sort of the basis of what I hope God does tonight. The first one is transformation. He wants us to worship because of transformation. You see, he, he knows that transformation happens in his presence. He knows that we are transformed in his presence. I, I tell our church all the time, you know, and it's honestly part of my prayer almost every Sunday is God show up and do what only you can. God, because I know that you can do it an instant in, in your presence, what I can't do in a lifetime. You know, he can instantly change things when he comes into the room that I can never change by my striving and working and doing all I can do for myself, right? I mean, his presence transforms us. The second thing is likeness. You know, the, I guess the, the best way I could sum it up is we become what we worship. Mm-hmm. We become what we worship. So the word says that his desire is that we are conformed to what? The image of his son. And so... <coughs> He wants our worship, number one, to transform us. He wants us to worship, number two, so we can be conformed to the image of His Son because we do become what we worship. And the third reason He wants us to worship is freedom. And again, we'll get more into that in a minute, but again, He sets us free of situations. He sets us free of circumstances. He sets us free of addictions. I mean, we see people set free of all kinds of stuff just because He's in the room, mm-hmm. right? I mean, again, it's no striving on our part, nothing that we do. Yeah. He just works that way, and He sets us free. Um Again, something I tell our church all the time, you know, and I believe with all my heart, you, you can't come into contact with Jesus and walk away unchanged. You cannot come into contact with Jesus and walk away unchanged. Mm-hmm. And so, if, you're, if your encounter with Jesus didn't radically change your life, if it didn't rock you to the core of who you are, then you really need to examine that relationship. Because mm-hmm. I don't think you can come into contact with the, with the God of all creation and walk away completely the same. I just don't think it's possible. Um, but again, talking about a battle for worship, and the last thing the enemy wants is to see you worshiping. Right. So, second thing, freedom through worship. In verse 17 of what she read, it says, uh, 
Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in Nile, and it shall be turned into blood. So back in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, they didn't stop worshiping. They just started worshiping the wrong things. The enemy still works the same way. He still wants to rob us of our destinies and and the calling and purposes and plans in our life by directing our worship to something else, by, by you know, some idol, whatever it may be, that is taking God's position in our life. And I think that's one of the things that's very clearly uh, you know, laid out in this whole dialogue between Moses and between Pharaoh. And Pharaoh understood that these Israelites worshiping the one true God, he realized that them worshiping this God was a threat to his kingdom. Mm-hmm. And so what we're going to see when we get into this is all the compromises. That's what happens is Moses goes to Pharaoh and says, God says, let my people go. And Moses and Pharaoh tries to give him a compromise and he, to, to go off on some tangent. But the reality is the issue is really controlled for Pharaoh. Because right. if he could control them and keep them you know, bound in slavery and keep them shackled to what they were doing and not worshiping, then there was no threat to him and there was no chance of them ever being free and walking out of there yeah. if he could just keep them where he had them. Mm-hmm. And it was about control. And, and I even thought about you know church leaders. I see that a lot of church leaders that are like that today. You know, it's all about control. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you know you, you, they try to control everybody and everything by keeping them in bondage through religion and you know traditions and legalism, whatever. He uses all kinds of things. Yeah. And enemy works through all kinds of things to keep us in bondage. But you know the, the cool thing is again when his when when we worship God in His presence, you know he, when He manifests His presence, those things change. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we see people it seems like daily who who come to church and they worship him for who he truly is. They truly experience him. And God instantly wipes away decades of religion. You know, he instantly wipes away decades of religious condition and control and all those things just through worship. Because, again, it's, it don't. sometimes it's an instantaneous thing and sometimes it's a process, but God doesn't need a process. He's God. And if he wants to change it instantly in the moment, he can do that and will do that. So... Again, this whole this whole idea of this dialogue, I just want you to see, you know, freedom comes through worship. Over and over again, Moses goes to Pharaoh, and he says, "Let my people go." The Father says, "Let my people go." You know, I want you to understand that God desired their freedom, just as He desires our freedom, complete freedom. You know, and that's always His agenda. You know, His love is always working to that goal. He He wants us free. And so, let me get to these tactics. This is what I really want to spend most of my time on. Tactics that the enemy uses to keep us from walking in complete freedom. Uh, this is sort of a, uh, I guess, a good starting point. But before we get into this the whole dialogue of Moses and Pharaoh, I actually want to jump back. If someone wants to read Exodus chapter 3, verses 16 through 22, I want you to see as a baseline what God actually tells Moses before we get into how Moses try, or Pharaoh tries to twist it up and change it and get him to compromise. <coughs> No, Exodus 3, 16 through 22. Yep. No, yeah. <laughs> no, yes. I got it. Oh, it's chapter 16. Go ahead. No, yes. Yes, yes. Go, yeah. Okay. Um, 16 through 22. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites 
and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come, you and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst, and after that he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be where you go that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. Thank you. So the key, key verse 18 that I want, I want to sort of bring up, he says, and they will listen to your voice, and you, the elders of Israel go to the king of Egypt and say to him, I want you to catch these phrases. This is what he tells them to tell Pharaoh. The Lord, the God of Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go on a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice, again, the word there really is worship, to the Lord our God. So four, um, again, four, there's four places where they have this conversation, and he basically tries to distract or you know, compromise or get him to disregard what God's told him. The first time is in Exodus chapter 8, verse 25. Someone wants to read that. Exodus 8, 25. Sure. All right. And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go, you sacrifice to your God in the land. All right, so again, in context, this is right after the fourth plague hits Egypt, which was flies, an invasion of flies, a swarm of flies. And it says that he told Moses, Go sacrifice to God to your God in the land. Did anybody catch the difference between what he said and what God told Moses? What's the compromise? In the land versus in the wilderness. Right. He told Moses, go, I said, I want you to take all the Israelites, which you know, by most estimates are two and a half million people at this point, and I want you to go into the wilderness, three days journey, and I want you to worship me there. Moses says, I want you to sacrifice to your God in the land. <clears throat> so to move 2.5 million people three days into the wilderness is going to cost something, right? It's going to take some work. It's going to take some effort. Uh, but there's no cost to do it in the land. For them to worship God right where they were and to compromise and do what Pharaoh is asking them to do really was, you know, was no cost to them at all. So what I want you to see is that the, the enemy doesn't mind worship that cost us nothing. Mm -hmm. yeah. The enemy doesn't mind worship that requires no change. Because that's really what's happening here. He's telling them, I want you to leave where you are and I want you to go over here three days journey to the wilderness and that's where I want you to worship me. And that, that required, it would cost them something and it would require a change. And so, you know, as far as application, I mean, the, the best application that I could think of is this. You know, the enemy doesn't mind you coming here every Saturday night for the next 60 years if all you do is go through religious motions. Yep. He doesn't mind you coming here for the next 60 years if all you do is come here and play religious games. If all you do is, again, as I said earlier, if all you ever do is come here and be a listener or a hearer of the word and never go do and apply what you learn, he doesn't mind that at all. He doesn't mind if you come here for, again, every Saturday night for the next 60 years and never surrender all of yourself to it. See, the, 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 the hindrance here is partial surrender. That's really the issue. Partial surrender. So he doesn't mind you giving him bits and pieces. What and honestly, this is probably I think it's the most applicable to men because we're very bad at compartmentalize things. 
I mean, I, 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 know, I know because I am one, and I do the same thing. I mean, you know, we've even been, had this discussion. We do a marriage small group. We had this discussion this week, as a matter of fact, how women are, you know, sort of one thing, and men want to divide things up, right? And, and there's a difference, and we respond to things differently because of that. But what, what, what the enemy, again, he doesn't mind you coming here and playing those games and doing all those things. What he does mind and what he hates is complete and total surrender of yourself to God. That's what he absolutely hates. He hates it when you let go of whatever that thing the Holy Spirit's been telling you to let go of that you keep holding on to. That's what he hates. So what area do you need to surrender to not? That's the question. And what will it take to get you to do it? Because the enemy's cool with you coming here for, again, the next 60 years and playing games. That doesn't bother him at all. That's where he wants to keep you. His first tactic is partial surrender. The second one is half-heartedness. Uh, Exodus eight twenty-eight. Somebody wants to read it. I'll do it. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only ye shall not go very far away and treat for me. Yeah. So this is the, the second conversation. Uh, again, in context, still right after the fourth plague of the, the flies. Again, the issue here is control. Still the issue is control. But it's half-heartedness. That's, the, that's how the enemy is working to hinder Moses and the Israelites. There's a lot of Christians, there's a lot of believers who know it's right to worship God, but they hold on to things that the God's told them to let go of. And those things that they hold, in, hold on to take the place of the Lord in their life. And so we, we find ourselves you know, a month, a year, five years down the road, and this thing that we held on to, he told us to let go of, has now consumed our lives. And now, now the Lord has half of us. And if we keep on the same path, you know, eventually he has none of us because those things crowd us out and they take over our heart, right? And so the enemy convinces us that full surrender of you know, what he told Moses, he convinces us that the full surrender of our lives is too extreme. Matter of fact, I bet when I was just talking about partial surrender, he was telling somebody that right then. Like, hey, you don't need to surrender that. You know, you don't... Just, just give up what you got to give up to get by. Just give up what you got to give up to blend in with everybody else. You ain't got to do all that. You don't have to let go of that. You know, you don't have to deal with that thing he keeps showing you. Just sweep it under the rug. But wait till tomorrow. Yeah, wait till tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, procrastination. Right? But God doesn't want half our heart. He wants all of our heart. Right. Let me share, uh, or somebody else wants to read, Mark 14, uh, verses 3 through 9. Um, this is the woman who basically anointed Jesus' feet with the, with the ointment or perfume. It depends on what version you read. I'll read it. Go ahead. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. But there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has a good work. For, she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be told as a memorial to her. So she breaks this <coughs> container of ointment, perfume, I said it depends on what translation you read, worth 300 denarii. Denarii was a day's wage, so it's 300 days wage. So you think about this, it's basically a year's salary. Yeah. 
what she breaks over his feet, what she pours out on Jesus' feet was worth a year's salary. Which, from what I, you know, the last test I saw, I think the average, you know, beginning salary in the U.S. is like 35,000 rings. So let's just, for, for the sake of conversation, a $35,000 flask and pours it in, in Jesus, you know, over Jesus' feet. But what, what I want you to see is this. Everyone in the room, everyone in the room thought what she did was excessive, they thought it was wasteful, and they thought it was extreme. Excessive, wasteful, and extreme. But Jesus honors her and says, no, that wasn't wasteful or <laughs> extreme or extravagant or uh, excessive. It was extravagant, right? What she did was an extravagant act of worship. And he says, not only that, but everywhere my story is told, her story is going to be told, right? So what others thought was excessive and extreme, you know, the Lord considered reason. That's what jumped out to me. That's what jumped out to me from that story. And it's, it's, it is that extreme wholehearted worship that brings transformation and that's what changes lives is when we get to that place where we don't care what anybody says what anybody thinks it doesn't matter it doesn't matter who else is in the room man it's about extravagant worship and giving God our everything because he is our everything and he's worthy of everything right Um, so I just ask you what what would extravagant worship look like for you tonight you know when we when we get to worship in a few minutes what, what would that look like are you willing to worship extremely because he's worthy of that. Mm-hmm. The third uh, tactic he uses is disunity. Exodus 10. Somebody read uh, Exodus 10, 11, if you don't mind. Exodus 10, 11? Yeah. All right, I'll read it. Just, you read it. Yeah. Wonderful. Not so. Go now, you who are men, and serve the Lord. For that is what you desired. And, wait, nope, wrong verse. No, that's it. No, that is, I don't know why. I don't know what I'm thinking. I'm super tired. Okay. Do what is desired. And they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. All right. So, again, back in the context, uh, in this conversation, this is right after the eighth plague that Moses and Pharaoh had this same conversation again. He goes back, let my people go. God says, let my people go. Right? And the eighth, the eighth plague was locusts. And so what he tells him here is the men can go, but everybody else has to stay here. Mm-hmm. Why does he do that? It's divide and conquer. Yeah. It's disunity. That, that's what he's doing. You know, I, I believe it's absolutely clear throughout Scripture that the enemy, one of the enemy's greatest fear are families who worship God together and who united in purpose. Mm-hmm. And that's why he works overtime to destroy families. And that's why he works overtime to, do, to wreak havoc in, in families and churches. Because... You know, there really there's exponential power and blessings released when blood families worship together, multiple generations in the same church, yeah. and are united in purpose and are worshiping together. So but guess what? There's also exponential power and blessings released when kingdom families worship together. Yeah. You see, it works both ways, both the bloodline and the family line through him. And so he works overtime. It goes all the way back to the to the garden, right? He says the, the husband and wife. He made them one to produce godly offspring because unity produces unity. And so the enemy's working here to create disunity. And he, he knows very well that tactic, and he, he uses it very frequently. Uh, you know, it's the whole divide and conquer. The, the, the image that always comes to my mind is, uh, you know, a lion, a, a pack of, or a tribe of lions hunting, you know, wildebeest in the savannah in Africa. You know, and they're, and they're chasing after that herd. What do they do? Do they go to the front and pick out the one in the front? 
Now they get the guy in the back that's a little slower, right? Mm. The one in the back that's a little weaker off to itself and you know, they pull it off to the side and it's done. And that's what he's doing in families. That's what he's doing in churches. That's what he's doing all across our nation. It is disunity, is dividing and conquer. And the family unit has always been a target of the enemy. And I think that's true now more than it ever has been. So yeah. Yeah. And you know, we live in a culture that, you know, as far as technology and communication is concerned, we are more connected than ever, but we're not really connected at all. Right. So if you're here tonight and you know you feel separated or you feel all alone or you feel divided off from the rest of the family or you feel distracted or confused or condemned, whatever. I just want you to know that the Father wants you back home. You know, he wants you to be part of the family. You are part of the family. You know, for, there was a long period in my life where the, you know, the enemy convinced me that you know, I was a, a freak of nature and one of a kind and nobody knew what I was going through. Nobody could relate to the struggle. But I tell you, man, the, the, the last you know, few years in ministry have really showed me that that's... A complete lie. Right. You know, the enemy wants you to think that because he wants you, you know, locked in your bedroom and hiding out from everybody else and withdrawn because when he gets you off by yourself, it's divide and conquer. He can take, he can sort of pick us off one by one, but he can't take us as a whole. So if you, if that's where you are now, I just I just want you to know the Father wants you home and he will welcome you home. The last tactic he uses is fear based thinking. Uh, Exodus chapter 10 verse 24 somebody wants to read it then Pharaoh called to Moses and said go serve the Lord only let your flocks and your herds be kept back let your little ones also go with you so this is Pharaoh's last attempt to get Moses to compromise again in context we're right after the ninth plague which was three days darkness over the entire land of Egypt right before the tenth plague which was what yeah, death of the firstborn, Passover, what we come to call it. Probably the 13th, yeah. <laughs> so so the ultimate goal, I think the ultimate goal for us as Christians in regards to worship is uh, is that we worship God with, number one, with all of ourselves. Number two, we worship God united with our family. That may be blood family, that may be kingdom family and kingdom community. But you, God never intended for you to do this alone. Yeah. And God never intended for you to, and for your, your walk as a Christian to be on your couch in the, on Sunday morning watching preacher whoever on the television mm. and walking in it all by yourself. You can't do it by yourself. And God designed this for community, and community is essential. So listen, number one, you gotta you gotta you gotta worship with all yourself. Number two, you gotta do it united with a family. And number three, you gotta do it with everything you have. And that, that's what's going on here. It's, it's about resources. Bill, I read a quote from Bill Johnson this week. He said, a Christianity that costs nothing is worth nothing. Mm-hmm. A Christianity that costs, actually costs little is worth little, is the way he said it. Um, so that, but that's the Father's heart. Is that he wants me using all that I have for his glory. Right? My, my house, it's his. My, my cars are his. My finances, they're his. Every, every resource that I have on the planet is his. And his desire is that I use those things as resources to worship and to help others and to you know further the kingdom. But listen, the enemy knows if he can keep me focused on those things, that breeds fear. You see, it's easy to look, you know, it's easy to look at your checkbook or you know your bank account on your phone and you see online, hey, I got you know you got this bill coming up and you look and it's not there. It's easy to worry about things, you know, finances and relationships. 
And the enemy wants us there, right? He wants us making fear-based decisions. Mm-hmm. He wants fear controlling our minds because if he can do that, that that's where he'll keep us. And he'll, he'll fear will be controlling our decisions. He'll influence our emotions. He'll poison our thinking through fear. Because the root issue there really is distrust. So the enemy wants us functioning through a fear-based mentality, but the Father wants us doing just the opposite and and, and functioning and living in a faith-based environment, faith-based thought pattern, right? But if, if we let fear control, if we let the enemy influence that way, then we become very ineffective. We become very ineffective in reaching... You know, those purposes and plans that we talked about to start with. It's hard to walk in those things when I'm shackled by fear and letting the enemy wreak havoc in my emotions and in my life because I'm, I'm, I don't have the faith that I should or I'm not trusting God in some area that I should or whatever. But, you know, again, the Father wants us operating in a, in a faith-based economy, right? Trusting Him with everything. Again, it's, it's His family. It's His resources. You know, it's His possessions. It's all His. And I just have to be a good steward of His resources, because they're not mine anyway. So what it really comes down to is just giving him everything. The way the way I live in the way I live with a, in a face based atmosphere and walk a face based life is is life. Excuse me, is just give him everything because it's all his anyway. And if you if you really stop and think about it, it's really it's really an exchange because what happens is I give him all that I have. So that I can receive all that he has for me. Mm. But all that he has for me is far more yeah. than I can ever give him. Yeah. But it's a transaction. I mean, that's the best way to think about it. So I want to end really with uh, this sort of a picture of deliverance. Exodus chapter 12. If someone wants to read 12, 29 through 32. Oh, yeah. And it came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of livestock. So Pharaoh rose in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. Then he called for Moses and Aaron by night, and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel, and go. Serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds, as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. So, again, in context, right after the tenth plague, which was death of the firstborn, all across Egypt, our Christian life begins by grace through faith in Jesus and his finished work. And in the same way, the deliverance that came to the Israelites from Egypt came in the same way, by embracing God's plan and God's procedure. You know, had they not obeyed by faith, had they not went home and did exactly what they were told to do by faith, guess what? The death angel would have visited their house too. They wasn't exempt because they were Hebrews. They were exempt because they acted in faith and put the blood across the doorpost and done exactly as they were told to do. And when Pharaoh saw the power of Israel's God, then he was done bargaining, right? He calls them up. He says, hey, get out. Go. I'm done with you. You know, he's done bargaining. He's done trying to control things and trying to manipulate the situation. He says, get out of here. You know, they, they live by faith and God honored their faith. 
And as a result of that, they're delivered from bondage and they're set free. And, you know, we know the rest of the story. So my question is, will you walk by faith? And not by sight, not by, not with a fear-based mentality, but will we walk by faith and distrust him for his provisions and for his provisions for us and know that whatever I give him pales in comparison to what he's going to give me. I'm not, I'm not saying do that because, because of that, but that's ultimately the call. It is surrender. Because... You know, I believe that the Father desires complete and total freedom for all of us. And to, to have that and to walk in that, we can't compromise. We can't compromise. It's the, we can't, you know, halfway surrender things. We can't be half-hearted. You know, we can't let him cause disunity in, in our, you know, in our family and in our homes. We can't, you know, operate with fear-based thinking. So let me just share a few questions with you and then I'll close. The first one is... What has he been calling you to surrender? Again, the enemy's going to tell you that it's okay, you don't have to. He'll tell you, hey, you're okay, just, you know, do this little thing over here. We'll swap it out. And are you willing to let it go tonight? My, my second question is this. Does he have all your heart and affection? Because the enemy's tactic is half-heartedness. What, what, what in your life is complete competing with him? My third question is sort of going into what I talked about a while ago about being alone and isolated. And again, if you if you if that's where you feel you are in, in your walk, man, just I guess number one, there's nothing too bad that can't be forgiven. Mm-hmm. God's grace is sufficient. I tell again, I tell that church this all the time. I don't care where you've been or what you've done. The Father's always waiting to to welcome you back. Yeah. The family's always waiting to welcome you back. So just come home. Yeah. And lastly, I would ask you, are you, are you reacting in fear or are you responding in faith? Because mm-hmm. fear is a reaction, faith is a response, and there is a difference. Mm-hmm. And are you willing just to lay down all that you have for all that he has for you? Mm-hmm. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. And God, I thank you for your word. Again, we thank you for the privilege of sharing tonight. And God, let's pray as we come to this time of worship that we would just search our lives and search our hearts, allow you to, to search our hearts and lives. And Lord, if there's something you're calling us to surrender and lay down tonight, God, just give us the strength and the courage to do that. God, if there is areas of our lives where we've hidden things that are taking away from our love and affection and devotion to you, Lord, if there's things in our life that are uh, competing with our love and, and focus for you and attention for you, God, I to show us those things so we can remove them. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who feels like they've gone too far or feel like they're they're past the, the point of return, Lord, if they feel alone and isolated and discouraged and just like no one else can understand, Father, I pray you would just help them understand that, that they're loved, Lord, and that this body is a safe place and this body will love them and welcome them and, and help them you know, to walk those things out and just be restored to what you've called them to be. And Lord, I just pray that if there's any here who are reacting in fear, you would just show them tonight the situations where they need to respond in faith. Mm-hmm. Lord, they would just decide to give all that they have for all that you have for them and just surrender completely to you in all things. And Father, again, I just thank you for this time tonight, Lord, for the privilege of sharing and for this, just for your presence and this great spirit we feel. And Lord, I'm just so expectant 
expectatious and expecting and uh, made up a word there, but Lord, that's okay. Uh, so expectant of what you're about to do. And God, I just, uh, as always, we, we came here tonight expecting and we just want to see you show up and God just transform and rock lives and rock hearts and do what only you can because you, you are God alone and we are not. And we just, so we just give you this time and pray you just have your will and way. Again, we just give you all praise and honor and glory for what's about to happen in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message on the Identity House Ministries podcast. If you are interested in finding out more about our ministry, you can find us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash Identity House. We pray that today's teaching brings you in closer relationship with God the Father and empowers you to walk in your God-given identity.